And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And as he, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all our days, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, and for you will go out before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And this is the word of the Lord found in Luke 1, 67 through 80. Okay, I'm going to pray really quickly for Kevin, and we'll get started. Lord, thank you for this time to gather together, and thank you for just this family that wants to learn more about you and be edified and love each other. I pray for Kevin, that his mind would be sharp and his words would be straight from, from you filled with the Holy Spirit. We thank you for this time together today. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Anybody playing Christmas music yet? Um, yeah, I saw some hands. I, I sure am, for sure. I love all of it. I like the classic um, rich hymns. I can belt out Oh Holy Night, I think, with the best of them, even hit the high notes. I like the, the cheesy sentimental stuff, too. You know, I think I know all the words to walking in a winter wonderland. Um, hearing any of those songs pretty much always puts me in a good mood, but I realize, of course, that not all Christmas music is created equal. Many years ago, I was sharing my faith with a relative of mine, and she came and visited my church, and then she asked me to come and visit hers, I decided to, even though it really wasn't what I would call a church, but I accompanied her on Christmas Eve, and I remember sitting there watching, listening to people sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and they were singing out these words, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, and I looked around and I thought, nobody here has any idea what those words mean. No one here believes one word of that song. Now, that's sad, but... In, in not comprehending, not, not cherishing those words of Jesus there, what was happening? Well, they were resisting their hope, right? Don't we do that also? We live in this world of suffering and sin. We hear words like those, and we doubt that they have any relevance to our lives, or we can so easily just forget how they should impact our lives, Therefore, unless we just cover our eyes or we stop up our ears to the pain that's all around us, or unless we can somehow numb ourselves and act like none of it's there, we're left, tragically, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.12, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But we can only ignore what's going on inside of us and lurking all around us for so long. When the sorrow seeps in, I think we do the equivalent of using the cheesiest of Christmas songs to try to heal up our heartache. You know, cue up the Mariah Carey or the Justin Bieber. Um, We try to throw platitudes at our pain. We try to seek meaning from memes. Those sentimental songs, they may work, you know, as you're walking around, looking at the plaza lights with your honey at your side, but they won't do much when she's stricken with cancer. We need something more. We need something richer. We need something deeper than that. We need words of hope. We're taking a break from our study through Matthew. For Advent, we're going to look at a few Christmas songs. Each of these songs goes deep. They hit on our deepest needs in this messed up world. And here today in Luke, our first, we hear this called hope. In Luke 1, 67 through 80 that we just read, we see what's traditionally been called the, the Benedictus, the song of Zechariah. But before we dive in, it's important for us to know the context. There's a story that surrounds this song. Earlier in chapter one, we see Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. They they worship the God of Israel. And Zechariah, in fact, is one of their priests, but they're older now. They've not been able to have children. And Zechariah, he's, he's taking his turn to serve in the temple. And an angel approaches him there as he's serving and tells him that they're gonna have a child. And instead of naming him after himself, which was customary in that time, they're supposed to call him John. That's what the angel says to do. And then he goes on to speak of big things that this child would do for the Lord. Understandably, Zechariah has his doubts about this. He expresses them, much like if you remember the father of their nation, Abraham, back in the day, So the angel says, you're not going to be able to talk, not until this baby comes. So we see him disciplined for his unbelief, and he walks out of the temple acting real weird, trying to make signs with his hands, and everyone wonders just what happened in there. His wife Elizabeth finds herself pregnant. Mary, her relative, also gets a visit from an angel. Her child would be a miracle baby as well, but she'd give birth to the Messiah, though she was a virgin. Mary later pays a visit to Elizabeth, and if you remember, the child in Elizabeth's womb leaps when she gets near Mary's belly, and what follows there is one of the most well-known songs in the Bible, that of Mary, that's been called the Magnificat in verses 46 through 55. Not long after, Elizabeth gives birth to her child. She and Zechariah, they they obey, they take their son into the temple for him to be circumcised, and the priests ask them for his name, and Elizabeth says, wait a second, we're calling him John, and they give her this weird look, and they begin to protest, but John grabs a tablet, and he writes that name down, he'll be called John, and there he obeys what the angel had said, and immediately, he can speak again, and what does he do? Well, he starts bursting into song, and everyone around him marvels. So this man had been longing all this time, and now he starts singing, and he sings with hope. And so we're going to jump into that song of praise today, and we're going to listen together with what the Lord, I think, would want us to hear. So listen to the first two verses of the song again. 
And of course, I don't know if he was actually singing it, but it's just, it's lyrical, it's rich. It, it's, it, it's, a, it's a Christmas song. It's one of the best. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Those two verses, they serve as the, scene, the theme of this song, and we'll also use them for outline this morning. Jeremiah, Je- Zechariah, I said Jeremiah. Zechariah here sings, he rejoices in hope, and to understand why, we have to think about his situation. He and his wife, they've struggled with infertility, right? And as hard as that is now, it was an especially big deal then, because your reputation even your survival were at stake. And they had wrestled with this for years. That was their family struggle, he and Elizabeth. But zooming out, their broader family was struggling greatly. Uh, Their people, the Israelites, because they were under Roman rule, right? They were strangers in their own land. And they, they longed deeply for a deliverer. And their scriptures had seemed to point to that king but God had forgotten them, or at least it, it felt that way, and they were suffering, and they, they felt like Israel back in their bondage in Egypt, but no Moses seemed to be showing up, and they had lost hope. It seemed like the sun was setting on their land. Well, it's about time to watch um, Christmas movies again. You know, I, my wife had on this Kevin McAllister, I think she still has it on this Cars Kids sticker. So Home Alone's one of them. Another one of the best um, Christmas movies ever made is, of course, Die Hard, right? <laughs> right? But back when Amy and I first got married, um, we decided to watch a movie together, and we, we picked that film, you know, starring the great Bruce Willis. I hadn't seen it before. It was many years later. I didn't know what to expect, and as it began rolling, it was just far more violent than I expected. So Amy had watched it, she knew what to expect. I really didn't grow up watching films like that, so she was pretty amused watching me watch Die Hard because when someone would get shot or punched or stabbed or thrown off a building, I was jumpy, really jumpy. I had this really dramatic reaction that she didn't expect and she was just looking at me like, are, are you eight, Kevin, or have you lived under a rock? When the Bible, when our faith comes up against the struggles of this world, um, things in our personal lives like infertility or unemployment or things going on in our world like invasion, like oppression, our faith doesn't flinch. The the story of God that we find in our Bibles, it's meant for real life, for the, the toughest parts of our experience, for the darkest parts of our world, it, it takes them head on. The, the small things that feel so big, our faith is meant to handle them. The big things, they're actually quite small compared to who he is and what he can do. Uh, we look at a God who looks at our situation and who has a solution. Look here at Zechariah's response. He sings again, he praises the Lord, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, in verse 68. Those, those first two words, blessed be, are words of joy. In the Latin version of the Bible, they're, they, they're translated as Benedictus, where we get the name, the traditional name for this song. Zechariah praises the Lord. And I don't want you to forget, though, that the transformation that we see in him, 
He goes from this old man who cannot believe that God can give him a son to one who now sees hope for him and for this whole nation of Israel. He's now rejoicing. He even acts like God's promises are as good as done in this song. He's been radically changed. Don't miss this also. That faith was forged through a lot of fire, right? The, the trial of dealing with disappointment and desperation over many, many years, the short-term discipline of walking around without the ability to speak for quite some time, going through national instability, family infertility, then this tough, life-altering illness, some hard stuff, but God meets him there and Zechariah now speaks and the silence is broken by God's grace. He prophesies here, he sings. And this song breaks even a bigger silence if you think about it. So the Lord had not spoken to his people for hundreds of years, he'd been silent. And now the Lord is speaking here through this man to Israel once again, and he invites all God's people, and Zechariah invites us today to join him in song, knowing that God sees us in our situation, and he's moved, he cares, and we have a reason to sing. Zechariah's first, we should sing in hope. But more specifically, why? And I think we see two reasons here in this passage. Now, we're all soon gonna be opening up some presents, and imagine with me that you tear into one and you're, you're really, really surprised. Maybe many, many years ago, a relative said something to you like this. When, when you turn 18 or whatever age it would be, 21, I'm gonna give you this thing. Maybe it's a family heirloom, maybe it's something like that. The time comes to open it, it was so long ago, and you're totally caught off guard, you'd completely forgotten, and you're overjoyed. Now, we don't know that this had slipped Israel's mind, but I think it's safe to say that they'd given up hope. They were too far gone, they thought, they'd slipped up too many times, and God was done with them. But what do we see Zechariah say here at the start of this song? What God's doing was prophesied long, long ago. God is keeping his covenant, his promises, his pledge with his people. There at the end, here in verse 160, in Luke 169, he sings of God doing something in the house of his servant David. So way back in the Old Testament, back in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord tells his king, Hey, you say you want to build me a house? Well, I'm going to build one for you. I'm going to bless your household, David. You want to honor me? Well, that's great, but hey, I'm going to make your name great. One of your offspring will be king. And God says in verse 13 of 2 Samuel 7, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's what Zechariah is alluding to here. God is keeping his promises To David, a son of David is coming to that throne, the long-awaited king of Israel. What's more is that the Lord is also keeping another promise that goes way back before him. In verses 72 and 73, Zechariah talks of God remembering his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Remember the 
that doubter from before that he and his wife thought, hey, we're old, how are we gonna have a kid? Well, God made a promise to him, met him in the desert, this wandering pagan, repeated in Genesis, where God speaks to him and he says, hey, I'm going to give you many offspring. I'm gonna give you this massive piece of land and through that people and through that place, you are going to bless the nations of the earth. And God hadn't forgotten either of those promises. And he's keeping them now. And in fact, we're proof of it sitting right here. Zechariah could see this, and again, he bursts into song. But there's more here. This all was coming, of course, through the child in Mary's womb, but it also involved this boy, John. Isaiah had promised that a prophet would come, one who would prepare the way for him who'd call the people to get themselves ready to repent and embrace the reign of this king. The song, the Benedictus proper, seems to end there, verse 75. But in those verses following, Zechariah sings over little John. Yeah, the Lord is keeping his promise to him of a son, as the angel had said, But God is also keeping a much bigger promise to the world. John is the forerunner of this Messiah, prophesied again back in the book of Isaiah. As verse 76 puts it, he would be called the prophet of the Most High, for he would go before the Lord to prepare his way. So God is keeping his promise, even in that child that Zechariah holds, and that old man again can't hold back the praises. Now, Carlos, I want us to... I want you to think with me about where you and I currently stand. We saw this not too long ago back in Matthew 11, where Jesus says there's been no greater man, no greater human ever created than this guy, John the Baptist. But then he says these words, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So John looked ahead for the kingdom. He pointed forward to the king. But we who believe are in even greater position than him because we can see all those promises fulfilled. Right? As the prophets looked forward to, all that they looked forward to, we get to experience. We have this greater perspective. We look back to Christ's first coming. We see where it all started. We look ahead to a second And we see where all things are going to go. And then we can see the cross, the resurrection that brought it all about. So Zechariah here saying that what he could see, God had spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. But we, church, we can see even so much more. God has kept his promises. And do you know what? Well, that means that we can trust him to keep his promises to us. Yes, one day what he'll do when God makes everything right. But here and now in the day-to-day, can't we also trust him now? Who he says he is? What he says he'll do? With the big picture, but in the struggles that we face in our lives? Karas, the stories are true. First, we should sing in hope. And that's because second, God kept his promises of old. But let's go back to verses 68 and 69 again. Why is Zechariah praising the Lord? 
What promises of old has God kept? Verse 68, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Now, those words take my mind at least way back to the Exodus. When God's people are in slavery, they're drowning without hope, they're crying out for help. And Exodus 2.23 says their cry comes up to God. God heard their groaning, it says, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then verse 25, it puts it so well, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. What does God do? He visits his people. He redeems them. He buys them back. He sets them free. He sends a deliverer. That's what the Lord did back then with Moses. But here he's doing something bigger, something greater, with a new, better Moses, bringing a a new, grander exodus through Jesus the king. The Lord is saving his people from his enemies again, and that's what this man, Zechariah, sings in verses 71 and 74. That's what the Lord has done for him and for us. But see here also how he says God does it. It's through his power, through his power. I want you to see here the first of two pretty epic images, really titles for Jesus that we see here in this passage. The first in verse 69, God, it says, has raised up a horn of salvation for us. A horn. Now, this isn't talking about a trumpet. Maybe that's the first thing you think of. Something greater than that although I think horns are pretty great in that way, trumpets. Um, He grabs this image that's seen in the Psalms and elsewhere in the Old Testament books. Um, A good example of this is in Psalm 18, where David says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold the horn of my salvation. Here, David is actually talking about the the horn of an ox or some other powerful horned animal. And that's the imagery that that Zechariah is calling on here of of the great power of the king who's come to rescue. Zechariah, David, they're saying that he is mighty and he is mighty for us and that should bring us hope. John Piper, in talking about this passage, talks about what it would look like if it were a painting. So no cute Thomas Kincaid thing here, but something scary. Maybe that makes us uncomfortable, um, but something of substance that ends up bringing comfort, and he writes this. Satan may be a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, but none of those who take refuge in Christ, the horn of our salvation, can he destroy. If I were an artist, I would paint for my home a special Christmas painting this year and hang it on the wall near the manger scene. It would be one of those big oil canvases. The scene would be of a distant hill at dawn. The sun is about to rise behind the hill and the rays shoot up and out of the picture and all alone, silhouetted on the hill in the center of the picture, very dark, is a magnificent wild ox standing with his back seven feet tall and the crown of his head nine feet tall. On both sides of his head, there's a horn curving out and up six feet long and 12 inches thick at the base. 
He stands there sovereign and serene, facing the southern sky with his massive neck slightly cocked and impaled at the end of his right horn hangs a huge lion dead. That's what we're talking about here. What, what power, right? What power does this king have? But this is motivated by his mercy. We see this in verse 72. God will save us, it says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers. And in the words sung over, uh, over John, down in verse 78, Zechariah shouts that God does this because of the tender mercy of our God. Do you hear that? Again, the Lord hears us. He hears our cries. He sees our tears and he acts in power on our behalf. He visits us. He redeems us. He cares, so we should sing. There are a couple of aspects of this passage that might confuse. There's all this talk of enemies, and we may wonder, given what I said, does this just have to do with Israel, with all the problems they were having with Rome? No, because... In the words, again, sung over John, Zechariah boasts about God in verse 77, giving knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So this is reaching far past that day, even to ours, where we can be forgiven through Christ, through the cross, through the empty tomb. It points ahead to the future when our enemies will be defeated, when, when Satan's sin and death are vanquished forever. There's another image here that I want you to see there in verses 78 and 79. Zechariah here speaks of a time when the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise. So here, think of, of that world in darkness when Jesus, like the morning sun, bursts onto the scene bursts over the horizon. That fulfills so many passages in Isaiah that we think about with Christmas. He illuminates the dark world, bringing his truth. He warms the cold earth, bringing his love. That's our sunrise. Think of the words of that tune, O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary word rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Let's fall on our knees, Karis. Let's lift our hands in song because the sun hasn't set on us. No, the true light has come. Our sunrise, the bright morning star, to shine at the first advent but in full one day at its, at its second. And then you know what it's gonna be? The book of Revelation says, chapter 22, verse five, night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. You also may wonder as we talk about this, yeah, I know about, I know I sin, maybe, maybe you do, but what about all the suffering? What about all the sin done to me? What about the sin done to others? One day, all of that is gonna be gone too. Sins we do that have been done to us. 
personal wrongs we do, the systemic evils that we see out around us. When that light fully comes and illumines the world, verse 79 says that he is gonna guide us, all who believe into the way of peace, into perfect shalom, and everything will be made right. There'll be perfect justice in the reign of the son Jesus. That's how far, that's how wide this salvation extends. So think about this, Zechariah looked and he could see that sun peeking over the horizon and he was overjoyed. We now look and we see it blazing up in the sky, but one day it's going to overcome the darkness entirely. The sun will fill the earth and it will consume our every gaze, Karas, and what a glorious day that will be. Now, There's really no debate, I hate to break it, but Die Hard is a Christmas movie. I mean, it takes place during Christmas after all. John McClane, played by Bruce Willis, is coming home for the holidays. He's trying to reconcile with his family. So hey, that covers most Christmas movies, especially on the Hallmark Network or such. But things, of course, escalate from that. Um, They only get maybe more complicated than some of my Christmases back with my family. It's happening around the holiday. It's all about family. There's Christmas music throughout. There's Christmas decorations everywhere. There's even snow in Los Angeles. Have you thought about that? I mean, that's enough for me. But if you're still not convinced, think about the storyline. A strong man, motivated by love, leaves his home, travels across the country, fights the bad guys, wins back his girl. It doesn't get more Christmas than that, y'all. Clothed in power, moved by mercy, Jesus came to save, and while we long for a second advent, when he'll fully rescue us, his bride, we sing. On that note, think with me just how important singing is to us. We can't forget that. Spiritual warfare is happening as we sing together these songs on Sundays. There's nothing that can give shape to these feelings that we feel quite like music. Sometimes we sing and it reflects our hearts, right? We feel joy, we sing joy. Other times we sing because we we need to remember. Sometimes we sing because we try to direct our hearts to what's true and good and beautiful. But we take on Satan as we sing of our Savior together. We fight for faith as we come together and sing these songs. That's why singing as a family is so important. It's great to sing during your commute as you cue up the worship music, but we need to hear other voices around us, right? Especially when our faith is weak, when our faith is struggling. We need to hear brothers and sisters around us crying out, Jesus has come. Our Lord saves, especially when we can't so that we can keep on fighting to hope. One of my heroes, um, a man named Rich Mullins, once said that there's all these really tough commands in the Bible. You know, he thought, here's one I can keep. The Bible says over and over to sing. I'll start with that. I can at least do that. And I just say, church, let's obey him. Let's sing it out, but remembering that it's good for our souls and it's also good for the souls of those around us. So first, we should sing in hope 
Second, because God kept his promises of old. And third, because he sent his son to save. I, as I begin to wrap up, I, I want to just briefly talk a little bit more about what this means from this passage. I want to focus your attention here on verses 74 and 75. As Zechariah is dancing around with his baby boy and he's singing and praising, he also gets to the result of salvation in us. Hear it again. He says, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So, serving him without fear. So, likely, Zechariah, you know, he imagines life without all these Romans everywhere, you know, like if the the Russians drove their tanks out and left the Ukrainians feeling peace, you know, you can rest, you can breathe again, but I think it's bigger than that. We no longer have to fear death, right, or the wrath of a holy God. We're sons and daughters if we trust in Christ. We've been forgiven. Satan no longer has power over us. We don't have to fear God as our father now. We also live, it says, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. If we're in Christ, if we trust in him, his righteousness is ours. We're now holy in his sight. We're forgiven. We're justified. And what does that mean? We no longer have to walk around crippled by guilt. Have you thought about that? Of course we're going to sin. And when we do, we should feel sorrow, and that should drive us to repentance but we shouldn't stay there, we shouldn't wallow because Christ has taken our place on the cross. If we believe, he's been punished for us. We're now righteous, we're holy by the grace of God. This also surely points and says something about the shape of our lives. We're we're now called to go out, we're now able to go out and represent him in the world. We go forth, we seek to live lives that look like him, We bear his image again. We bring glory to his name, holy and righteous, lights in the world like our rising sun, bringing that peace that we talked about earlier to the world around us. So through the salvation that we see in this passage, we're given freedom, aren't we? Freedom from fear, freedom from guilt, freedom to live as we were originally created to live. Truly free in our Lord's care for his great name, serving him, serving others, his power and love, they change everything. And so we can sing in hope. Many of you may know, you may have read um, what actually Bruce Willis is going through right now. He's dealing with serious dementia and it's incredibly hard and sad. And he has a type that affects the frontal lobe of your brain, and he's actually suffering from aphasia where he can't speak. You know, he's in some way going through what Zechariah is going through here, but there doesn't seem to be any relief in sight. It's my prayer for him and his family that they know the hope that's found here in Jesus, that they know what Christmas is truly about, that they know more of Christmas than just the sappy, sentimental stuff. Because that's what we all need, Chorus, when we hit suffering like that. Or our family members do this hope that Jesus will come and he'll make everything right. Now maybe you say that that pain makes you turn away from God actually. 
that God's not powerful or he could make it all stop or he's not merciful or he would have ended it long ago. But our Bible that we read says that he's both. And though I may not fully understand, I choose to believe and to trust that he's big enough to have reasons. I choose to hope. What about you? Because you have to deal with it some way. And I'm saying, why don't you come and struggle to sing with us here? Next week, we'll move on to another Christmas song. And this will be one maybe you didn't expect. We'll move from a song of thanksgiving to one that's of lament. And we'll take a look at one of the Psalms and we'll talk about what it really means to wait on the Lord, which is what Advent, again, as Bobby said, is all about. Here we've seen that we have to wait and hope for this second Advent when Jesus returns. Aaron Ferguson, who's a pastor with us, who preaches here all the time, if you know him, he can bring on the memes. You know, he texts me tweets all the time, and he sent me one this week that I think really fit with this sermon that we'll throw up on the screen. It says, regular Christmas music, oh yes, the snow, it's tickling my nose. The Christmas music I like, the loudest organ you've ever heard, a boy's choir, oh ye infant that shall murder Satan. That's the type of song that these words of Zechariah provide. None of that silly sentimental stuff, but a hymn that actually gives us hope, that has teeth to it. Right here in our world, hope, one that doesn't flinch, that even has some violence involved, the sun may seem to be setting, but really it's rising. You better get the popcorn ready because it's gonna be wild. Because Chorus, he will murder Satan. He'll wipe away suffering and death once for all. He'll bring justice and peace to this fallen world, and there's hope in that. Hope has come in the person and work of Christ. The stories are true. The strong horn, the rising sun will save us and is even now. So let's learn how to sing together. Let's pray. Holy Father, um, we thank you for the hope that we have in your son, the hope of all your power and all your mercy coming to rescue and give us hope. And and we just pray, Lord, that we would see that, Lord, that we would sing that, that you would move in our hearts, that um, we're all coming from different places. Some of us are struggling in, in extremely severe ways. Some of us are maybe blocking it out. Um, Just do a work in us, Lord, that we would um, see your glory and that we would rejoice in you and um, we would rejoice in you in a way that other people see and hear and are drawn to you as well. Father, um, thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.